Welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, for a full hour of having fun and being together, celebrating the joyful gift of friendship over the radio, the way it's supposed to be done, so that we don't get anything on us. Oh, hygienic, clean, amazing, efficient, friendly, harmless, dangerous, challenging, radio. Oh, Dr. Cleep McLovin, 429, we've got this evening, and then, 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 radio communicating between the air traffic controller tower and the airport and the pilots on the airplane. It's very fascinating. They say the number and who they are and if they need clearance to land and everything. And a lot of times dramatic things happen, as you know. We don't want them to. But it's a scary thing listening to. There's a lot of near misses and uh, get, they get mad at one another and you don't know what's going to happen then. And there's a lot of things I think you don't want to hear being made and one of them are plans for planes landing one of them is sausage they say you don't want to see it being made but i think the foley would be worse you know oh here's the sound of sausage being made like you don't have to see that there's inappropriate things going into it Ugh, it's enough to hear it and i guess the worst would be the combination of that you hear sausage being made in the control tower as you want to land your plane you say what are they doing in there they're making kielbasa and it sounds that's not even a euphemism. They're literally in there grinding meat and putting it in casings when they should be saying, hey, you got clearance to land or, you know, it's time to take off or something like that or go to this many feet up in the air. That'd be something if someone said that to me. No, no, thank you. I can't do it. I can't do it. I say, all right, come on through. Just go to up to 10,000 feet. I can't. Now, I can do it in an airplane. Here's a funny thing. As much as I'm, I'm, I'm as scared of flying as the next person, which is not a lot, a little bit I am, because it should be somewhat frightening. Why? Because there's other people involved. That's enough. You say, well, the, will there be other humans there? Yes. Risk factor elevated. That's the way I look at it. But here's the funny thing about that, and it's deafeningly loud. You probably don't notice that till you're flying or you do some recording on an airplane, you go, man, it's awfully loud in here. I know that because I have to listen to sound to get to sleep. Increasingly louder and louder sounds. Now I'm up to just monkeys screaming at the top of their lungs all night long in headphones. That's not exactly true. I like to listen to different things. Now, some people listen to white noise. Now, I've gotten into brown and pink noise. So Hardy's making jokes. I'm not. That's real. That's the real names for them why do they call it that it's not that type of show we're not the type of show that's going to give you little facts like that you can drop at your cocktail party that's not what this is about i'm telling a story and i'm going to say pink noise and you can go look it up and laugh about it 
But here I'm just going to say it's like a low rumbly thing. Now, some of the things you can listen to online to go to sleep are just straight up in the inside of an airplane rumble. And some of them will even have the little bing of the seatbelt sign going on and off. Or the thunk of the, hits an air pocket and everybody flies up and hits the ceiling and gets concussed. That's another sound effect you can uh, have on it. But for some reason, it's very comforting. And yet, I can't fall asleep on an airplane. I have a hard time. Unless there's a Seth Rogen movie playing or something, I can't fall asleep. And uh, I've tried to say, I've tried taking drugs. I've tried taking all, like, all the drugs. I've tried not breathing. All sorts of things to fall asleep on the plane. I've tried to have an important Skype meeting or something. I fall asleep at, at uh, not inappropriate times. I fall asleep at uh, a comfortable time. Times when I'm very, 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 very relaxed. And sometimes that's at a movie or at your house when we should be playing a game or something. But it just overtakes me when it does. Bed is almost the last place. And I can sleep anywhere but uh, a bed sometimes. But, you know, restaurant, uh, dinner table, car, no matter any seat in a car. That's why I try not to drive too much. Just too relaxed a person. And uh, just sleepy. When people around me go, God, Hardy, you're so relaxing. You're very sleepy types. I wonder if they make it up in the, in the corporate world. Could you imagine having just kind of a yawning, sleepy CEO? Uh, looks like you all got it covered. I'll be in my office and have a nice big chaise in the office. Do lazy people make it in business? I think that a lot of people um, just pretend they're working most of the time. To see, it's like, I'm, I work all night long. I don't even sleep. Probably not doing anything productive. I bet you could get it done in a half hour. Then think of all the wonderful free time you'd have. What would I do if I had all free time? Nothing. That's the point. That's why it's called free time. So if I had free time, I'd start another company. That ceases to be free time. Oh, is time free? Is a price paid for it? Limited time. They always say that this offer is for a limited time. Everything's for a limited time, my friend. Nothing goes on forever. I guess it does, but no person does. The other day I was listening to somebody, I think maybe it was Brian Cox or one of those, or I get them all confused, the physicist. I don't have to keep them straight. And he said, oh, we've been wrong again. Turns out that information is probably is preserved in the universe. And they says, if you take a book and you burn it up, you know, you could conceivably get that information back again. You just have to find every bit of burned up book and put it, put it back together again. That seems to be a big if. I think things can be virtually gone, you know, because there is this idea that someone is, I'm going to have a quantum computer and I will be able to reassemble old episodes of I Love Lucy that we thought were just sitting on the edges of a black hole and we'll take them back. And I can get everything back, even your grandpa's ashes. See, I don't think that's, that probably won't happen. I don't know. I don't like to predict anything. Um, it's a wonderful, everyone that you're predicting things to is going to die. So nobody can hold you to anything. It's a beautiful system. I love it. You know, all the, the truth and the lies all have equal footing. <clears throat> They're all equally 
irrelevant at some point. And sometimes the truth changes. You know him saying, oh, physics changed again. I remember going back in time and getting an F on a physics test because I was like, oh, well, the sun is the center of the solar system. And then they like, who know what is? So they didn't like that idea, and they failed me. And I kept saying, but it's true, but it's true. It just wasn't true yet. So you'd be stupid to believe otherwise than something that was false back then. You really would be considered foolish, and rightfully so. So right now, if you're believing everything that's up to date, um, you know, you're being rational, but you could be wrong also. But it doesn't matter. Because, you know, that's another funny thing is that the person who is pointing out that you're wrong might just be coincidentally right. They might not know the answer, that would just be right that you're wrong. Isn't that fun? They could be dumb as a nail. Oh, it's a, it's a weird world. Isn't it weird and wonderful? I'll tell you, well, I, I will tell you this. You're going to figure it all out, probably, at the instant of your death. I don't really know something ironic like that. I hope there isn't an afterlife. I mean, some people would like to have one. I would think that that would be torturous. I can't imagine being separated from all these people I love or foods that I enjoy. I'm not sure heaven as it is depicted in Family Circus is my cuppa. I do not want to wear flowing white robes. I look better in other things. And um, I, I, I would like, wouldn't mind dressing like 70s Doctor Who or something. That might be fun in heaven. But I, you know, the other stuff I don't need. And uh, so if it, just, if it keeps going, that's going to be. I like the idea of oblivion. Just I won't know it. That, that kind of thing. God, it's so beautiful. And then I will stay forever in the, in the moment, in the instance, in the present. I will be here forever. This is where I exist anyway. I don't even exist in the future or the past. Just this little segment in the, in the present. Boom! Oh, what's going to happen now? I don't know. I hope something, I hope there's music. Nothing really ever. It, it's so strange. I've been, I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting less used to life. I don't know what, that is, what that's all about, but it's seeming stranger to me. I guess as you as you get older and you figure out that figuring out is an illusion, it's kind of jarring because you think, well, what is true? And then you realize that you'll not ever know and you, you're running out of time. So what do you do then? I found uh, sometimes just gum, just gum. I just need, I probably just need gum right now. Just chew without swallowing. Like eating without getting nourishment, just go through the motions for a while, move around, that's what you are, creature of movement. I would say that if it's a new year, you know, you're coming into a new year, are you going to make New Year's resolutions? And what's a resolution? Say, I resolve, I'm going to make a promise to myself, which are great because you can break them instantly and nobody, you'll never punish yourself for it. But you make a promise to yourself that you might change or do something differently. And you say, this year, I promise I'm going to lose a lot of friends. I have too many friends, and I'm going to cut back. Try to lose 20, 25% of my friend group. They're acquaintances, mainly, you might say. Or wait. Or you say, this year, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to teach myself a very obscure form of kung fu. 
I realized this this week, and I know that a lot of you are waiting to say, what is your thought of the week, Hardy? Because a lot of times I want to turn to you for profound thought. I'm feeling like there's a lot of kung fu elements in crump dancing. And I don't know whether it's a balanced thing, it's just posture, but there is, and I guess because there's a fight, kind of fight posturing about crump anyway, um, uh, that it looks like that, but there's there's quite a few things that I think are look kung fuish to me, and that would be my thought of the week. Hey, now, if you enjoy uh, hip hop dancing and martial arts, you might want to look into that. That's my every time I say something like that, I gotta have that reading rainbow sting. That, that reading rainbow stinger, that's what you want on the end of anything. It just makes the thing that you previously said seem sort of important. Not important, but you know, like uh, edifying in an elementary way. I miss shows like that. I'd watch them as an adult. There was a lot of children's shows that I used to. I don't so much watch them. And I can't distinguish them. I don't know what the children's shows are. What are they even? Where do you, where do you watch them? Um, I'm confused now. It used to be a little easier. And, but I've watched things like that. Even, even now, I will, if you can get a hold of some powerful drugs and throw on one of those baby Mozarts, it's still lovely. And there's nothing lowbrow about that. It's Mozart. That's, uh, you know, sophisticated. And the fact that there's little infant toys being played with kind of performance arty in my opinion so i do like to watch those things and we all know that the minute you see stuff like that you see the teletubbies and you go oh drugs because there is a, the a, uh there is a um you know psychedelic aspect to a lot of children's things because being a child is a psychedelic experience and that's why when you do, kind of redundant sometimes when you do things that have a psychedelic aesthetic for children, because they see the world like that anyway. Colors are already swirling. You don't need to swirl them for them. And that, that kind of thing. Stuff already has faces. But you saw that a lot in the 60s as adults did drugs. They said, we'd like to pass this on to the children. But like I said, Childhood or the experience of being young is is disorienting and marvelous and affects the senses, you know, which are, are new. You don't know what you're seeing. There's nothing more wonderful than the actual experience of wonder. And that is seeing something that you possibly can't explain, something that just consumes and overwhelms the senses, but that you can't make heads or tails of really yet. And so you just feel, oh, what is that? That ooh feeling. Nothing like wanting to recapture that all the time. And it takes a little more and more as we get older to just capture the feeling of like, oh, wow, what was that? And as your grandparents tell you, you know, um, and ultimately you, know, you start needing grand buildings and mountains. But then eventually all you need is a good solid stool. And you'll feel the same way. It's like, wow, yes. You know, I'm really, I'm at the cup of, cup of coffee and um, just, and my feet don't hurt is a good, is the equivalent for me of seeing, 
perhaps one of the seven wonders of the world. And I don't know what they are. They change all the time. They have the seven modern wonders and the seven ancient wonders, which I guess got messed up. You should have seen, you think the modern wonders are good. Boy, there used to be a, there was a statue of a fella and it was a thousand feet high. I did see there is a, I guess in New York there's skyscrapers that tall, but I was in Cincinnati where most of the skyscrapers are five, let's say 550 about. And he said, that's not a skyscraper. It's still 50-some stories to me is a big building. It's still a big building. It's not 100, right? But there is also in Cincinnati a communications tower. I think it's called the Star Tower. And it's 1,000 feet tall. And it's shaped kind of like the Eiffel Tower. And it's, that's immense. That's really big. Don't you think? I thought it was really big. I was trying to get this. And I don't, I've never paid attention to really the heights of things. Like I knew my friend Joe is 6'7". And it's difficult to use him really as comparison to like different skyscrapers and everything. Because it's just a, you know, how many Joes is that I would ask. But it gets in the hundreds and it gets nonsensical. But I'm, uh, I love the, the imagining things that high and I like imagining being that high. Being that high though, like in an airplane, you know, flying around without the danger. It's frightening. I did have a dream the other day that I was in a plane and it was going down and I didn't panic. I was, I really felt like, what are you going to do? I mean, really, literally, what you, I'm just, might as well just try to fall asleep or something. Because you're going, I'm on a plane, it's going down, should I scream? No. I mean, if, if it lands and we live, somebody will wake me and say, come on, let's get off. But I think if we're going down and it's awful, eh, you know. Got to treat it like it's uh, just another moment. I don't want to waste any, any, any moment. Well, 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 what good's a moment that's not connected to the future? That's a very profound question. Because you could say to somebody, what would you do if you had a day left, two days left? And they start thinking in terms of that, you know. Think in terms of not doing stuff that you would do if you thought you had more time left. And so you think, well... What am I, where am I living my life? Here or the time that I'm planning in this, in this future? And is the existence of that future necessary for me to operate in the presence? Could I do it knowing that it won't get here? Another very interesting question to figure out what is motivating you at any time, how you see time, uh, where you physically are, at any given time and in your mind, you know? And I think about that a lot. Why do things? Because they really do. And as you get older, that might, it might come up more. Gosh, you know, when you're young and you've got things, a lot of time on your, ahead of you, you think, well, I'm going to do this or that or the other thing. And so you may put off doing stuff or, and you do envision that there's, uh, there's something in the future that can be exploited and that you might not need to think about it yet. But then, as you realize that maybe your days are numbered, there's a lot of things that you needn't bother do. But here's the catch. What if you don't die? What if some weird things happen? You become immortal and you live forever and you haven't been... Or the opposite happens. You know, you're spending all this time planning something and you never get there. Or either one, a tragedy. 
And is it just arbitrary? I honestly don't know. I've kind of led my life because I was influenced by some bizarre philosophies early in my life. I have always been surprised by the future. I've tried to do it in a way where I don't really make horrible decisions and mess things up too terribly, but I don't think very far ahead. And um, I certainly don't sort of dream of doing anything. Things just sort of happen, I think. And I don't know that that's the best way to live your life. Um, I planned on just being sort of living a monastic existence where that makes sense. And I really wanted to do that, sort of live in a cave or something. And just with the talking, you know, I just talk so much that I think I would get on my own nerves. And I think I'd rather get on someone else's nerves. And so I do. And that's why I'm on the radio now here with you. Oh, my goodness. I came to it honestly. I wanted to share things with my neighbors, my neighbors who I didn't know. I wanted them to know me and my heart. I felt like, oh, this not knowing one another, this hiding from one another, this avoiding one another. We are making each other into something else then. We're going to create, you know, dream versions of each other. And then I might do something as your dream version that I would never do as me. And so I thought it was important that we get to know one another intimately over this, the safety of radio, where I could talk to you and we could be connected and could be personal and without having to be together, which could be annoying. I don't know what your personal, interpersonal skills are. Some of us aren't, I don't always know when I'm being charming and I, there's people that I know that go through their lives thinking they're charming and they're really annoying and vice versa. Probably not vice versa. I bet you not vice versa. I bet you charming people know they're not annoying. But I know that there's annoying people that think they're charming. Um, I find them in my family. I think we have them in our family. We always, it's always an uncle, isn't it? It could be your father, though. Bless them. Um, I hope that what I bring to you Oh, I just did that. I was air traffic controlling you. That hurt my ears, Harry. Be careful. That's the thing about it. We get so mad at people on microphones when there's feedback. Do you ever be at a club? You get so angry if there's feedback. Just they'll oh, like that. Oh, they'll say a curse word and cover their ears and everything. And... Um, that's why we weaponize sound sometimes. You know, they do that. They have sound cannons. But they don't use feedback. They ought to just do that. Just have some... That would be great. Instead of having these sound cannons on ships that fear pirates, and they do that, they'll aim them at the pirates that are getting on the ship and blast them with a sound cannon. All they have to do is have some sort of alt band set up and the house sound guy who's not really super familiar with their music. And then there's going to be all sort all of the horrible feedback here and there. And, and uh, the pirates will say, we refuse to subject ourselves to this. That's, that's crazy. That's enough. And every, not every instrument has to be in the monitor, is what the pirates would say. And they jump off the ship into the water. Oh, I have to admit that as a child, I love those stories of pirates. 
I realize now that they are criminal monsters. They are murderous. They are, uh, uh, what do you call, sadistic. Uh, they are perhaps masochistic because they, uh, who knows whether there's limbs that they're missing or part of some ritual. And I was interested because in fiction, you know, for they glamorize it a bit. And I've explained this before that Treasure Island was one of the first books I ever finished, you know, as a kid. And I was just so excited that I finished it. That was the accomplishment because my attention span seemed so short. It was like, man, I made it through a whole book. See this book? You know something about this book? This book doesn't have a bookmark in it, does it? That's because I read the whole book. It doesn't need a bookmark anymore because I read the whole book. It's bookmarkless. I accomplished something. Yeah, I read it, see? I did feel like that. And I kind of wanted to reread it, but then I thought, oh, i got to be sticking a bookmark in on page 15. And that makes it look like I didn't read it, but I did. Another idiosyncrasy I had as a child is I'd, I would refuse to uh, crease the spine on a paperback book. So I would only open it like uh, halfway, not even halfway, you know, just like peep, like... Like that, it was very difficult to read. And for a long time, reading was hard for me because I couldn't bring myself to open the paperback book all the way. I, oh, God, I wish I was making that up. I'm thinking back, that's not great. I, then I learned to, you know, as school went on, I thought, I got to just, got, I got to do it. But a lot of those books are made so poorly that the pages come out. And it makes me so mad when they're individually glued in like that. And I will spend extra to get a well-made book like that was printed years ago, I'll go and get it instead of having some garbage paperback thing that's been printed on demand or whatever. I'll go and get get me an, get me the old hardback version. And so it holds together because I'd like to pass these on to my garbage man when I die. So I want to have things. I want things to last, unlike the human body. It's so weird that it doesn't last. It's made of leather and everything. You'd think that'd hold up. I think the problem is all the watery insides. They don't do so well. It's gooey in there. It ought to be more mechanical or made of wood. I think if I had people to do over again, they'd be more durable. They'd be, I'd use the, <clears throat> the bone part is ingenious. I'd use more of that bone and use the bone for everything. Because some of the soft tissue is a mistake. That's where it's breaking down and everything. That's what gets the disease in it. And um, so, more like robots, maybe. Would that be good? Do you like your soft, the uh, temporary nature of your body? Do you like being an organic thing that breaks down, like a big rotten pile of leaves? That's not so bad, I guess. Earth to earth, earth to ashes to earth, and then back again, but not exactly. That's the thing. Yeah, you could be... Um, if there is reincarnation, then I think I probably used to be mushroom compost because there's got to be something in between me and the last person. Unless those souls are just flying around from one thing to the next. I just don't see how they, they'd be so tempted to, to stray from species. And there'd, be, there'd just be so many monkeys being born as people or, 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 or dogs or something. And it might be happening. I feel like that a, a little bit. I feel... Um, a, a, a couple degrees simpler than a lot of my my peers. It's a little more dog-like. You know, I'm a dogarian. 
Shemp job, shemp job, everybody. Oh, my goodness. I love going to, to Dolgarian services. We can do a little coloring. We color in our coloring books. We get up and say things. What kind of things? Things that, you know, people need to hear, make them feel better, uh, but not delude them or make them scared. Nothing like that. I don't know. It's hard. Um, people have different challenges all the time. And I know the best thing is to kind of to stay um, just completely busy and distracted all the time. But there are a few opportunities to do that. You know, I guess working at the carnival, working at the, you know, that's, that's that kind of work. You got to concentrate on it. A lot of it's 24-7. So, but, you know, there's not a lot of work like that. Hey, are you a mail carrier? I've never met one. I mean, I know mine, you know, I've talked to them a couple times, but I've never hung out with a mail carrier, socialized with one. That'd be fun. I admire y'all so much. Um, people that are very responsible and that you can count on are really underrated. You know, there's so many people that are like, that really will show up every day and uh, do a thing and pay attention. And they're flying planes and delivering mail and cutting people open. And I'm so thankful for them. Um, I'm because I'm a, I'm a late, I'm like a lazy guy with a shop that sells something you don't really need. So it's not important if I don't go to work for a couple of days, no one perishes, but those of you out there that are being dependent on, Oh, bless you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, healthcare workers salute. I always feel so good. Feel so humbled when you're taking care of me. Say so thank you for putting that organ back in me that came out that time or something. I appreciate that. I had my guts. They stuffed my guts back in me one time. It was just a hernia. It wasn't anything. What happened, Artie? Nothing. They just popped out spontaneously. Um, whoop, my guts came out. They do that. Uh, I was trying to stay healthy. That's the worst thing to do. Exercise has caused me so much pain and discomfort. But I feel like I look good. And um, I can look in the mirror and say, hey, you still look old. But now all your joints hurt. I'm moving like Rockford these days, who I'm glad I admired. That's really James Gardner. It's not Rockford. He said, well, that character of Rockford limped a lot. It's poor James and his messed up knees and his hip and everything. Poor dude. They wouldn't let him out of his contract. And he was just limping around in pain most of those last seasons of Rockford. Good gosh, it's not that important. I'd rather see him sitting down on uh, Johnny Carson talking about Oklahoma or something, smoking cigarettes. But I'm, I am moving around like that. And I know I got some, probably got some decades to go, or maybe not. You know, like I said, just lost a friend a couple of weeks ago, a couple of years younger. You don't know who the bell tolls for, but you could ask. <clears throat> and if they say you, run. My mother the other day, she says, uh, do you remember where I used to take, what restaurant I used to take you to when I would tell you something bad, bad news or something? And I said, I think McDonald's. And she said, nope. I said, well, that's where you took me when you told me that, that granddad had cancer. And she said, well, no, that's not it. And I go, well, the well, what's the what worse news is there than that? 
She goes, when I told you that your English teacher had called me in for a conference, I took you to Howard Johnson's. And I said, Mom, I have no, I have no memory of that. It's funny how that my grandfather dying stuck with me so much more than my English teacher being disappointed with my recent grades. And it's funny, you know, and my mother remembered it the other way around. She said, those grades, I still think that's going to get you. I go, no, it's death. It's people I love dying. That's pretty much what's been, you know, still sort of the sticking point. Uh, I'm over caring about, you know, whether my English teacher thinks that I'm engaged or I'm working up to my potential. I always felt that insulting. I would get that in. There was some, my teachers from the very, the time I was very young were in <clears throat> denial about my intellect and were always calling my mom in to say that they, they had, they had this theory that I wasn't really dumb or something like that. They go, I don't think he's really working to his potential. And I would be, my question is like, how do you know what my potential is? You test me, right? And then I get a C. That's my potential. Or I get a D. I don't understand. What the, what the, how do you know what mystery matrix are you using to evaluate me that's coming out I'm a genius when all my work indicates otherwise? And I really did want to know, you know, and this this haunted me my whole, uh, and I thought, well, am I doing something wrong? You know, am I really that? Is it really a character flaw? And I was made to feel my whole schooling that I had a character flaw, that I was somehow hiding this extra degree of smart that I wasn't letting out. It was, I, I was a little bit traumatized by it. I think it turned out I had some learning disabilities, but I mean nobody talked about that. They just said I was I was somehow holding back, or I was. Boy, that man, it was really frustrating to me, because my peers were going no, <laughs> you know they knew, because you everybody knows where they are sorta on the you know, on the scale, and I know like I could. I can usually tell, like, my doctor's smarter than me, and that's what I want. I want that. If I, feel, if I go into a doctor and I go, man, you you remind me of me. I'm not sure I want to, you know, I don't know that I am going to take my pants off. I feel I'm going to leave them on right now. Bless your heart. I don't know how you got where you are. Another thing, I'm glad I'm not in the military. I'd be in their jail. Oh, my goodness. Please, that first time they tried to get me up in boot camp and said, please, I'm really, literally, I don't feel well. I'm going to sleep this one out. I'm going to, I'll get you, give it, tomorrow, I'll get you twice as many push-ups. But you got to let me sleep this one off, please. And they don't like that, and they just get you out of bed, and I think put you right in the, I think they call it the clink. And so they get the colonel. Colonel clink is because they put him in the, in the clink. A lot of character names are like that, come from that. Um, Brig, Colonel Brig, that's another one. Head, Sergeant Head is in charge of the bathrooms on a ship. What, latrine, private latrine. It'd be nice to have a private latrine. I wish I could. Did I tell you about that? I told you about the, I'm sure I told you about the, the, uh, I know I told you about the TARDIS bathrooms at the, 
at the grocery store I went to and how confused some of the people were. And I, I'm still thinking about it because I'm, I would love it if, if maybe every bathroom stall was interdimensional and I'd use them more often. I don't often because no one likes to... Moving your bowels in public is problematic. Usually that's there for an emergency. I don't think no one plans. They go, I'm going to do my shopping and I think while I'm at Kroger, I'm just going to take a number two. That's usually not someone's plans. Usually it's like, uh-oh, 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 oh God. Um, do you all have a bathroom? Or you're traveling or something like that. But I, very few people plan. I know this, um, and this would anger some people at work. I lived in a, I lived. <laughs> I worked. God, it felt like that. Did you ever have an office where you go, I think I live there. Because you get off of work, you're so discouraged, you don't want to do anything. Home is really just where you go uh, to be left undisturbed, to get it, uh, yourself together enough to go back to work. So I was in one of those offices, and the whole building was windowless. I know that doesn't sound possible, but it was. It was absolutely, I don't know why, and that they could have had windows, or maybe they did on the other side of the building, but mine, no, nothing. And even, I think, I've told the story, we had a cafeteria there with no ventilation. Well, the bathrooms are on the same floor, and they weren't so great either. And a lot of people, I guess, didn't feel like they had enough time at home, or, you know, who's their... But their bowel schedule is all sorts of mucked up. So some people did their regular thing there at work, right? Like a couple doors down from the cafeteria. I can't tell you what an awful workspace it was. And um, I think if there are people that work, if there's people still work there, they're all dead. They got to be all dead. I don't go check on them because I think that there was no ventilation. It was just awful. They're in there. They're just skeletons sitting at desks now. You bet with a bag of chips on their desk. It's all, well, the chips, the chips are fine probably because those things don't decay. But the bodies are just right where they left them. The skeletons pose just like they were in life, holding their pencil or typing on their keyboard, still playing SimCity with their bony fingers on the keys. Oh, it's scary like that. That's another reason I like ships and sunken ships is all the skeleton crews and everything like that. When I first heard that expression, you know, oh, the overnight skeleton crew, I thought, yar, that's, I bet they're fleshless. But they, uh, I guess that just means fewer people. But if you hear that on a, sh on a, you know, air traffic controller or something, you don't want to be on a, scary ghost skeleton plane you just don't i don't know how concerned the captains would be if you found out where you're on a plane this is a hypothetical you're on a plane and you find out that the, the whole crew the whole cabin crew are skeletons they're animated skeletons they're doing stuff and they're all like this is seven four seven skeleton crew you know clicker clacker clacker i'm a bunch of bones and we're looking for clarence to land and um, and you, would you be concerned because you think, well, they have no fear of death, you know, because they're already living dead. Are they going to be as concerned about my life, you know, if, if, if they have nothing to lose? So the ethical question here is, is your pilot preserving your life because his life depends on it too? For the question is, would you be content with having a pilot that was remote? 
so that the pilot was not actually on your plane? Or do you want the person responsible for your safety to actually physically be there so that his life is at stake? Huh? Right? You'd feel uncomfortable if the person who was actually flying your plane wasn't on the plane because you'd think, well, maybe he doesn't have, you know, it would just be, oop, oopsie. Because that person actually could make multiple fatal mistakes, couldn't they? So we like people to be there and have to suffer the same consequences as we do, don't we? What point are you getting to? Oh, I think, I think you'll help you know. I hope you know. I don't know. I don't really know. But I know these are uh, things that I have been thinking about is, you know, whether the uh, what the basis of our morality is, whether it's self-preservation, whether it's fear of punishment, um, whether it's something else, what a conscience is. I think about these things all the time. My good, what motivates me? What motivates me to do, to do right or wrong? Or what is right and wrong? And I'll be answering all these questions in my new seminar, Hardy White, What's Right and Wrong? And it's a whole course that examines the history of morality. And it uh, counts, I guess, as a co not a college class, but I think middle school. You get a middle school credit for it. And you learn just a lot about why we make the decisions we make. I really am concerned with uh, not self-preservation because I said like I'm an in-the-moment person. So uh, I go on uh, sort of an experiential thing, you know, and a good feeling. And I'm just, uh, I am addicted to uh, joy and others' joy as well, not just my, uh, my own. Um, but the joy in others and bringing in, I'm, uh, I feel that I suffer somewhat vicariously when other people suffer. So I know I'm feeling things. Uh, that they're feeling, so their, their suffering does affect me. So I'm not sure uh, whether I'm ever being totally selfish or totally selfless because I feel ourselves are very much connected. So things that are self-serving could be serving for both of us, is what I'm saying. And that's sort of a nice thought, I think, is that we, we all benefit from uh, loving one another. And uh, all you have to do is participate in that to get the benefits of it. So I try to uh, reach out to you and say, oh, my goodness, for all the confusion in the world and all the hostility and all making each other uh, uh, cry and suffer, to, to some degree, they're very small, could be very small, where we maybe hurt feelings on purpose, could be very large, where we commit acts of violence on uh, all sorts of scales, but whatever it is, I would love to seek a refuge from it in you, my friend, who has a similar value of joy, of love, and of the power of those things, and how they can just make experience transcendent, how we can go from an experience of grief and torture and hell on earth to feeling some beautiful grand feeling of joy it exists but not while we poo upon the beautiful punch bowl that we've been given there is a, 
uh, uh, we're ruining it. Let's stop ruining the thing for ourselves. Oh, my goodness. Not a perfect place, but oh, fun can be had here. And so we need to understand, open our eyes to, to some of the uh, reality of our situations and cast aside the myths that are keeping us apart uh, from recognizing our sameness and the beautiful unity of biological life in this crazy place and ignore all those labels and the things that would divide us. So what are you going to do in the new year? I'm going to learn to fly. I'm going to take flying lessons. No, I'm not. Oh, my goodness. Can you, can you imagine? But I wouldn't mind doing a simulator. Um, twice. I'd like to do it once sober and then once really high just to see the consequences. You know, what would happen? I guess what you don't want to say, man, I think I fly better high. No one wants to hear anybody say that. So planes are scary things. I would love to go right from, I think my goal, I won't be a uh, Charlie's Angel. Not Charlie's Angel, Blue Angel. I won't be a Blue Angel. Well, we're Charlie's Angel. I don't care. They look cool, too. But I won't be a blue, one of the Navy pilots that flies around over air shows and, and, um, and uh, scares people. I think I'd like to do that. And I don't think it's too late. It's never, some things it's never too late to try to be like a surgeon. Never too, or a gymnast. I think I might try that. I think I might want to join the U.S. Olympic gymnastics team. What is just willpower and training? No, I guess it's not. I guess I missed that one. Some of the stops have already gone by, Hardy. You're on a train that has covered most of its tracks that it's going to cover. And it's headed for the little train yard with the other trains that have faces on them. And, oh, my God, where am I? Is that, is that Ringo? No, no, it's George Carlin. I think it's Ringo. It's George, it's George Carlin. Where are we? The land of plasticky f- train faces. And there's this another show where the things have faces on them. They just put faces on inanimate objects, and they think that, chi- that children will be fine with that. Here, here's a cup with a face on it. There's no show that doesn't do that. I don't know why they feel the need to do that. They can just have people and th- I'll tell you who never did that, Mr. Rogers. You'll notice a lot of the shows, he's the only one that didn't, like, slap eyes on something that didn't reel and say, hey, you know, Mr. Toaster Pastry or something. He'd be... Uh, you know, everybody was like a real thing. It was either a cat or a king. But I don't think he had just talking stuff. They do that a lot now. The um, blues clues. So everything was speaking to the man. Salt shaker's talking to me. And my male is talking to me. And this is like a, my, I don't know, my puppy. So that's kind of, the puppy at least talks puppy talk. Like Scooby-Doo. There's dogs on the internet that speak better than that, though. Hello there. So there's one that says, oh, it's like, um, you know, Marty Allen. It goes, hello there, like Marty Allen. Kids don't know who that is. Hey, we lost Shecky Green. So if you've seen him, what, he's dead? I guess we found him. Shecky almost, he lived in 97. Uh, Comedian Shecky Green. I met Shecky Green once. 
Elvis opened for him. Just like to point that out. And uh, yeah, but he's a, he, he passed away at 97. Boy, we're losing so many of our celebrities now, so young. But that's back from when even my, you know, he's older than my parents. And he was still around. Isn't that something? A little of the past still living. That's the way I feel. Like, hey, kids, I'm from the past a little bit. When did you live? Oh, lived in all sorts of things. Lived through all sorts of times. The scary, the scariest thing for me is I was like a kid. I was a kid mainly in the 70s. And that is when adults were doing most of their drugs, I feel like. And I just felt it was a very scary time to be a child. Um, a lot of the literature we read was all these warnings. You know, there's drug, there's like drug zombies out there jumping off of, always look up when you walk because there might be a drug zombie jumping off a roof. It's a, a teen who thinks they can fly and they could land on you. That was stuff, we had things like that. We had to, oh, okay, I'll be careful. Also, they're giving away all sorts of dimmies and dommies and lippies and boopies with the candy. You might get those for Halloween and some of them. You might get some sippy dips and stuff and whoo, and you don't know who you are. So we, uh, we always thought that and it was very frightening. Um, a lot of weird, violent uh, movies and scary movies and exorcist. And I thought the whole world was coming apart at the seams. But it hadn't even begun. <laughs> it was just, that was the rumble. That was the weird, you know, do you feel something before the earthquake? And it just, things got progressively stranger. And now is is definitely the weirder time to be a, a kid than it was then. Now it seems quaint. All my childhood seems quaint. And, um, you know, we thought it was a nuclear bomb going to be dropped on us a lot. Uh I thought that. Sometimes I thought that. But mostly I was just really, I was just watching a lot of cartoons. So, Stooges, Three Stooges, men that had, you know, recently died, they got me through a lot of that part of my childhood. Thank you. Hats off. Thank you, Mo. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Shemp. Thank you also, Curly. Thank you, Curly Joe. Thank you, to, to some extent, thank you, Joe, um, a little bit, you know. Thank you, other stooge-adjacent people, Emil Sitka, like that. I guess goes back to Ted Healy. I don't know. I've got nothing. I, I don't really feel like I owe him anything. But all that, they uh, touched my heart. as It gave me a, a sense of uh, funniness, joy. Helped me escape all the scary realities of life. And oh, it can be frightening, my friend. I know. Just surviving. Good times. Temporary layoffs? Yes, good times. Easy credit ripoffs? Mm, yeah, but good times. That's how the old show went. And I believe that, too, with all the stuff that can happen is just one another. We can come together and uh, have our get a little glimmer, glimpse of beauty and good feeling and pleasure in the midst of a temporary and confusing situation. That is life. That's life. That's what people say. Come, Everything comes out and starts in May and... Nothing is easy, but nothing I say 
can be like you what was that was on that day. I think that I will, with the sky on my right, begin to hang on to this love I have tight. And when we come together again in the fall, I know that will not be that much. That was be all of it to say. That's my poem that I just wrote. You say, did you just make that up? I think you know that I did. It just came off the top of my heart. That's what I say, not the top of my head. And uh, I'd love to share it with you. And you don't plan much. I do plan much. I know there's a very there's a very interesting ongoing argument about whether I suck. And I say no. I'm very firmly on the on the no. There's not. But there is a whether uh, what is the nature or structure of my approach to speaking. And whether there is some underlying uh, substance or structure or something that some people might not hear, that there might be uh, very casual allusions to some very complicated philosophical questions that I often bring up. And because I bring up them next to a poo, you start just looking at the poo and you don't see the philosophical question that's right next to it. On the, on the wall of the stall. You see what I'm saying? See, a bathroom stall really is a, is a metaphor for a lot of things, isn't it? I love they call it a throne because there is no more fitting throne for a human being than some kind of poo stool. You know, it says it all. It's a, it's a combination of dignified and undignified. So there's nothing more sort of undignified than move in your bowels but there's nothing more dignified than having a little mini cabin to do it in with a little porcelain seat it's beautiful but it's all pampered and it's making something that's sort of like gross and demeaning and undignified but yet really very much natural very much part if we weren't doing it we wouldn't be alive so it's part and parcel of this experience but then it's surrounded by trying to make it as dignified as possible. We should give you a little privacy. Thank you. It's not, it's inadequate as far as I'm concerned. I would like to make, I try to move my bowels as far away from all human beings. I have a little island that I go to and I take a charter plane there in the morning and I go to a little island, they leave, everybody leaves and then I go through I go into this, it looks like a phone booth, and, but I go right through the bottom and I descend uh, probably what's the equivalent of 10 stories in an underground vault. Lock, series of doors, series of doors, series of doors, handprint up, open up, there's the commode. Do my business. No paper. That happens occasionally. I have to go all the way back to the plane. I am trying to make an undignified experience as dignified as possible by embracing the inherent dignity in the indignity. Let's think about this. Being human and being ourselves isn't wrong in any way. It's just what is. It's our embarrassment of it. It's our self-consciousness that makes it seem icky. We ickify our whole lives and uh, it is. It's a. It's a. It's right in the Bible. Puts it as a very about the very first thing, is that our self consciousness, 
our fear of rejection, of being unloved, our constant, that is the source of a lot of our affliction. And the more that we can fully love ourselves and embrace the reality of our existence, the better we'll be able to love one another. Because you won't be embarrassed for other people or anything like that. There's nothing worse and nobody wants to be embarrassed for. That's what, like, that's the origin of cringe. So I put on a hat I like, and then you see it, and you can barely look at me because you're embarrassed for me because you're judging me. And you feel like, oh, if that was me, I would just feel like I'd want to crawl away with people looking at me thinking I'm stupid and everything like that, but you're the one doing it. So every time you cringe, you know, you're, you're, what you're doing is you're giving, you're fueling that persecution of judgment, of othering. Stop othering all the time. My goodness. Stop feeling embarrassed for people. People are human. They say stupid things. They look stupid sometimes. They uh, get confused and make mistakes. You know, my, no one gets cut the benefit of the doubt. We get yelled at for saying things that are, that are compassionate. So, no, you're naive or something. Can't win. Well, there's no winning. There's no winning. There's no winning, really. The winning, you win. Well, how do you win? I don't know. I'm not an endless font of, uh, like a fountain, like the kind of font you get baptism, baptismal in. I'm not a baptismal font. Nope, nope, nope. I'm not even the kind you use for letters, that kind of font. And I'm not one of knowledge. I'm just one of, uh, what do you call it when you kind of, I have an ability to kind of uh, empathize. That's what I am, empathize, empathetic. I'm empathetic. I can't, I'm not fully understanding. That's a limit of intellect. But I am empathetic. I understand human feelings. I've felt things. So if you tell me you're feeling something, I, I pretty much know what that is. You know, say, I'm grieving. I say, oh, I felt some of that. You know, I don't know the degree or how often or what, you know, but I can, I can guess And uh, I, I, um, if you need anything. And I feel like that. I'm trying to guess at what you need. Oh, bless you so much. This, oh, that went by quickly. Our time together goes by so quickly. I think you're there already. You're already at work. Well, that didn't take long. People laughing at you for having an hour commute. And you go, hour commute is hardly anything. So, um, what do you do? Will you take the path train home? You live, do you live in the city and you, and you, and you live in, or you work in the city and you live in Jersey, right? Yes. So how does it, how long does it take you to get home? Well, it takes me more than an hour sometimes, an hour actually on the train. Oh, you're actually on the train for an hour. Wowie, wowie. So, but that's okay. Cause you make, you're bringing in the good bucks. Well, Anyway, I'm so glad to be with you as usual. I like my house. What? I like my house in Jersey. Okay, well, that's good. I love it. That's awesome. So thank you so much um, for being uh, with me today. And who, who am I? Hardy White. I thought I told you that. Well, I'm Hardy White. I'll tell you again. I know you have to in radio. You have to remind people all the time that they're listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org. Worldwide, 
Freeform Radio, the way it was, and then then seeing grab them. Sorry, two four six eight. We're Morgan. We've got to go around. All right, go around. Oh, bless you. See you again next week.
fait 